from Kurtco Media. You get up to space while it's still dark out, and you'll have the most incredible view of the stars. And then you'll start to see the sun rise over the limb of the Earth, and you'll see the curvature of the Earth, that iconic thin blue line. That's Space Perspective founder Jane Pointer. I'm Bruce Wallen, and this is Travel That Matters. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Travel That Matters. This is the podcast where we explore the world's most exceptional and meaningful travel experiences, and we meet some of the absolutely fascinating people who make them possible. Today, we're going to jump into one of the hottest topics in travel, and that is space tourism, which I will admit is a subject that I've I've kind of been a bit lukewarm on. I've, I've been following it, but it's not that it doesn't interest me. I guess I haven't really given it any serious consideration, but my attitude about that subject completely changed after speaking with Jane Pointer, who is my amazing guest on this episode of Travel That Matters. Now, Jane is the co-founder and co-CEO of a company called Space Perspective. Before talking to her, I I had this vision of of what space travel was and, and who it was for, but hearing about it from her it is totally different, way cooler than I even imagined. And space perspective itself, it's definitely unlike anything I had imagined. I, let's just say that it involves a giant space balloon. So Jane is going to tell us all about space perspective trips and about all of the other options that are out there for going to space today, from Virgin Galactic to Blue Origin to SpaceX. She's also going to talk to us about how she became one of the pioneers in an industry where her competitors are people like you know Elon Musk or, or Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos. Jane's own personal tale involves everything from sailing across the Indian Ocean to being one of the original team members of Biosphere 2, which I don't know if you guys remember that, but it was a man-made, hermetically sealed environment. It had its own like rainforest, a desert, and an ocean. And Jane and seven other team members, they lived there for two years inside Biosphere 2 as part of a scientific experiment that was at least partially intended to to test our capabilities to live on other planets. There's actually a new Netflix documentary out about it now. So check that out if you're curious to learn more. And yes, Jane has lived quite an interesting life. But I think her newest chapter with Space Perspective might be the most fascinating of all. Be sure to stick around till the end to hear about a number of other fantastical space travel possibilities out there. But for now, strap in, put your helmet on. This is going to be a fun ride. Hello, Jane. Welcome to Travel That Matters. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This is this is fun. Very fun subject that we're going to talk about today. And of course, that is space travel. But... I know you are also, you know, in addition to everything you do in space, you are also an adventurer on land and at sea, from what I understand. I I hear you actually sailed across the Indian Ocean. Oh, I did. And up the Red Sea. So I, I was lucky enough to grow up sailing. So I thought I knew what sailing was all about until I got out into the open ocean. So I was on a research boat, but it was a sailing boat. And so we went at walking speed across the Indian Ocean and up the Red Sea, and it took us about six months. 
So I learned to dive on the Diego Garcia Islands, which were this beautiful, pristine area where I really first encountered the glories of underwater and really got that first sense that, wow, this is an alien world and we don't belong here. I mean, that already starts to change your perspective about this planet. And then I was out at sea in the middle of the ocean. And every day, one of my crewmates would say, look, there's a cloud that come up, comes up every night and goes across the sky. What is that? Well, I, finally, I realized what she was seeing was the Milky Way galaxy for the first time, right? So it like gives you this incredible sense that you are on a planet, which is very difficult to really get when you're on land. When you're out at sea and the horizon is all the way 360 degrees around you so far away, you see all of these weather patterns going across you. You know that the ocean connects all the way around the world. And after all, we do live on planet Aqua, really not planet Earth. It was really a profound experience of really viscerally understanding that we live on a planet. Some of the research we were doing actually had to do with what we were doing for Biosphere 2. So tell us what Biosphere 2 was and, and like how that experience prepared you for, for what you're doing now. My experience on the ship was actually one part of Biospherian training. So we were training to go and live for two years inside Biosphere 2, which is today still a three-acre enclosure. At that time when we were in it, it was hermetically sealed. It was sealed tighter than the International Space Station. And we used Biosphere 1, the planet, as our model. And so it had a miniature rainforest, a savanna, a desert, an ocean, a marsh. There was an area where we grew all our food and, of course, the habitat where we all lived. There were eight of us inside, four men, four women for the entire two years. And everything was sealed inside. So we drank the same water over and over again. We breathed the same air over and over again. So as I was breathing out, I knew that the CO2 I was ex ex exhaling was being absorbed by the plants that we were growing, and they in turn were giving me my oxygen. So it was this very tight relationship with the biosphere that we were living in, which of course is the same out here on our planetary biosphere, the Earth. It's just so large, we can't think of it that way. But we really had that visceral experience of being part of our biosphere. And of course, we could see our edges. And what we knew that what we had inside was all we had. And it turns out that that experience is very akin to the experience that astronauts have when they see our Earth in space, because they see its edges. They see that thin blue line of our atmosphere that is really paper thin. And they see it against the blackness of space. And it's very moving and it's really visceral. And so that really, Biosphere 2 set me off on the course for really wanting to take us all to space. Did you go from Biosphere 2 directly into the world of, of space tourism travel? Almost. So I did another stint that was also amazing, but it was also part of Biosphere training. I was a year in Australian outback. Riding around on horseback, in, in one sense, I was living out a childhood dream of being a cowgirl, but it was also doing research in the savannah. And I also worked a lot with the Aboriginal community, and it was just really eye-opening and quite lovely. And then the biosphere was really what launched me into this whole space travel world. 
You know, I would sit on the beach of Biosphere 2. You have to visualize it. It's made of these steel struts. And so you're looking out through this amazing glass and steel structure. And around us were the were mountains that at night would turn red. And so for all the world, it was like we were sitting on Mars. So, you know, we would seriously imagine like we were on Mars. So that was that was kind of really fun. And, and in, in many ways, it was the very first commercial real commercial space project. Then after that, I started my first space business called Paragon Space Development Corporation, which specializes in developing technologies for keeping people healthy and thriving in extreme environments like space. And today has technologies on almost every human spacecraft in operation in America. Okay. After Paragon, you you got into space tourism. What was the industry like back then and how has it evolved over over that time? So when I think back to when we first started Paragon in the 90s, we were all talking about space tourism. Anybody outside, you know, sort of the small group of space travel, space tourism, human spaceflight community thought we were quite nuts, right? They simply could not imagine how we would go from having... Remember, in the early 2000s, there were eight private citizens who went to space, but they were all taken to space by governments. And so it was very difficult for people to imagine how does that become a travel industry? So we have seen over you know, the last several decades, companies step into the void and begin to take the steps that are needed both technically and from a market point of view, to really build this industry. So, you know, to a degree, SpaceX really helped forge a path for everybody to really demonstrate that commercial industry can safely get people to space. And now you're seeing a lot more companies beginning to step up. So you had eight people in the early 2000s. Last year, we had many more already start flying to space. This year, we're going to have more again. And as we start flying in in 2024, you're going to see a massive ride, rise in people going to, going to space. You, you mentioned more people went to space this last year than did in the, you know, all the early 2000s. What are the current options right now? You mentioned SpaceX. How are the different ways that people can get to space right now and like in the very near future, including, including Space Perspective, which we'll get to later? Yeah. So if you think about this as sort of where you go, you know, space isn't entirely homogenous in a sense, right? Yeah, I guess that, that's a good question. It's like, what is, what is space travel? Yeah, so, so if you think about space travel, in the future, we'll be routinely going to the moon and eventually routinely going to Mars. Right now, people have been on the International Space Station going around the Earth for, you know, the last decades. And what we're seeing now is industry beginning to commercial companies take people to the International Space Station, for example, to low Earth orbit. We had the Inspiration4 flight last year where four people were in the Crew Dragon capsule, went around the planet for several days and, and came back. Then if you come down from low Earth orbit, you have what's called suborbital, which is where we are at Space Perspective. And that's where you don't actually go fully around the planet. You visit space for a while and then you come back down. 
And so in that area of suborbital flight, the, the three main players you would have is Virgin Galactic, Blue Origin, and us. So you would have already seen Blue Origin fly. And theirs is a, about a 10 minute, 15 second flight that goes with a rocket, goes up to space, has a few minutes up there, and then they come back down again on the parachute. Then you have the Virgin Galactic, which isn't yet commercially operational. And theirs is like a space plane that's carried up underneath another plane. Then it's dropped off the bottom of that plane. It fires its rockets and it shoots up to space. And then it's up there for a few minutes and comes gliding back down to the surface of the Earth. And then us, we're completely different. We use a space balloon, which we'll talk about in a minute. But we also then go very slowly and gently up to space where we're up for several hours. And then we come back down onto the space balloon and people bring people back down again to us. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with CEO Jane Pointer, who's going to tell us all about the space flight experience. Close your eyes and picture this. A new year of exploration with Qatar Airways. 2024 is not just another year. It's your canvas on which to paint memories around the globe. From the bustling streets of Thailand to the untamed beauty of Nairobi, the urban elegance of Singapore, and the peaceful shores of Bali, our world is rich with destinations waiting to be discovered. Every journey tells a story, and with over 170 destinations in our network, your story is just waiting to unfold. Planning your next chapter is simple with our intuitive website and mobile app. And rest assured, the price you see is the price you pay. No hidden fees. Where will your story take you next? Begin at QatarAirways.com. That's Q-A-T-A-R Airways.com. Hi, I'm Lale Arakoglu, host of Women Who Travel. Women Who Travel is a transported podcast for anyone curious about the world. We talk to adventurers and athletes. I've raced the God's Own Adventure Race, which is on the South Island and goes through the mountains down in the Southern Alps on New Zealand. That was eight days spent out in the wilderness. And chefs. Iranian food is home, it's family, it's love. And we share dispatches from our listeners. Ireland is full of these, I will call them ghosts of the past. From stampeding elephants to training sled dogs. We hear it all. The dogs will curl right up with you and it can be kind of cozy waiting things out. New episodes of Women Who Travel publish every Thursday. Join us wherever you listen. Okay, so let's talk about space perspective. You, you mentioned a balloon, which sounds, you know, a little crazy, but tell us about how that works. I mean, it also sounds fascinating, all right? You go up in a balloon into space. What is that experience like? How does it work? Like, just like, let's dive in. You go to space in a really comfortable capsule, eight passengers and a pilot. You lift off. Probably pre-dawn, we want to get you up there before the sun rises. It goes to space at about 12 miles an hour. And 
you get up to space while it's still dark out and you'll have the most incredible view of the stars. And then you'll start to see the sun rise over the limb of the earth and you'll see the curvature of the earth, that iconic thin blue line. The sun will be in the blackest sky you've ever seen, which by all accounts is just crazy to see. You'll be up there for a couple of hours and then you'll slowly descend and two hours later you'll splash down and be picked up and brought ashore and uh, that will celebrate the end of your incredible trip to see our wonderful planet from space. The entire flight is propelled by a very high-tech space balloon. So what's fascinating about these space balloons is they've actually been flown thousands of times by NASA and other governments around the world for science. And in fact, my co-founder, Taylor McCallum, his father flew a giant telescope on one of these kinds of space balloons back in the 70s and was on the team that discovered the black hole at the center of our Milky Way galaxy using a telescope under one of these huge balloons. So they're very well-tested technology. Just people haven't really heard about it. But it is the technology that allows us to give this very gentle flight. There's, there's no high Gs. There's no real training needed. If you can get on a commercial jet, you can get on spaceship Neptune. So it allows people to go that otherwise couldn't imagine themselves going to get on a rocket or simply can't and really opens up this experience to a very broad spectrum of people. It, it sounds so pleasant. I mean, I think <laughs> I certainly have visions of, you know, space travel involves this massive takeoff with flames going everywhere and smoke and bleh, danger, you know, admittedly like a little scary. This doesn't sound scary. So you're really, I mean, it's really just from the ground, 12 miles per hour. Like that, it seems like that would take six years, not six hours. But again, like, I'm, show I'm showing my true ignorance about this subject. So here's what's fascinating. So we are float above 99% of Earth's atmosphere. That's where spaceship Neptune goes. That allows you to get that incredible curvature of the Earth. But that's only 20 miles. That's what's so amazing, right? So it takes two hours to get up there. So when, when we think about, you know, what are some of these aha moments that people are going to get on this journey? And when you talk to astronauts about this experience of seeing our planet in space, it's not just a pretty view. It is a profoundly moving experience because right. they get viscerally that we are a singular human family inhabiting spaceship Earth together. And one of the things that they get is the scale of our planet. You know, when we're down here, the sky looks like it goes on to infinity but it doesn't. And when you're up there and you're seeing this thin blue line and you suddenly realize, wow, I'm on top of that thin blue line and it's only 20 miles. Think about that. Our atmosphere is only 20 miles. It is not very thick. And so I, I guess that goes back to the idea of like, what is, what is space? And that is amazing that space is only 20 miles away. You know, it's a, it's a 30 minute drive to, to work or whatever, you know, it's like, it's, it's right there. That is incredible. Now you touched on it briefly, but what, what am I doing on board? I'm, I'm, I'm observing the majesty of it all clearly, but what, what is, what is that experience like? How does it evolve? So what's really fun is Spaceship Neptune has a bar. 
as all self-respecting spaceships should have. Yes, of course. <laughs> and there's Wi-Fi, so everybody it can be so civilized. I, this is not this is not the picture of space I have. I really, well, really is not. exactly that right there is the point, right? We reimagined space travel so that we can all go and have fun, enjoy the majesty. Of course, there'll be telescope. You'll be able to get all kinds of information. You'll be able to talk to people on the ground and live stream from there if you like. Of course, there'll be amazing food on board during the whole flight. There's going to be a, a never-ending stream of things for you to do or not do, depending on what you want. What about the kind of like, is there an educational, like a scientific component to all of this? And like, how, do, how does that work? I mean, it sounds incredible, but is there also something that like, if you want a huge takeaway from it too, there, there's that. Yeah. So, so one of the beautiful things is that we really want to customize this for people and people want to go for different reasons. Right. A lot of people want to go to really have that moment of experiencing our planet from that vantage point. So you know, there's going to be different things that we're putting in place for people to prepare themselves with should they choose to take advantage of it. So some of it is practical. It's like, how do you take the best photograph from space? Because as it turns out, the lighting is completely different. So it's really high contrast light. So we're going to be able to tell, help people really take good, good imagery because after all, you've got to have good imagery. But then we want to really also help people prepare themselves for this over what some, some call technically is called the overview effect, where you really absorb this experience. And so we will be having classes in understanding what that is, talking with astronauts about what to expect with this experience. Of course, there'll be a lot of information about what's out, going on outside the capsule, what you're seeing, because you can see 450 miles in in every direction. Then there's science. There's also a lot of science that we're going to be doing on these trips. So we're going to a place that really has not been measured much because it's so difficult to get to. And so we will be having payloads on our missions, doing really groundbreaking research that is applicable to climate change, to astrophysics, solar physics, you know, earth observations. What might those payloads entail? Like what, what might be in some of those tests that you like? Can you give us a, an example of something? Yeah. So last year on, on our test flight that we flew, we actually flew an instrument, an ozone instrument for the University of Central Florida. There is some really interesting research that we're working on. Some scientists put the whole payload and science together. That has to do with really understanding the sort of the mixing of carbon and other gases with the air of the the area of the atmosphere that we're going into, which is technically called the stratosphere, and it turns out that the stratosphere sort of sits over the troposphere where we walk and fly around in, almost like a blanket. And understanding how gases go from the troposphere into the stratosphere is very important for really fine tuning our global models for climate change. And is, has not been well documented. So that's some of the kinds of things that we'll be able to do. So, okay, on that subject of climate change, you know, travel in general has received a lot of pushback over the years because of its high environmental cost. I mean, it clearly air travel does have a high environmental cost. You know, I think travel on land, there's a lot of arguments that can be made about, you know, bridging 
cultural divides, providing jobs, supporting wildlife conservation, what, whatever it is that kind of justifies a, a lot of the, the necessary cost of travel. Space tourism doesn't really have a lot of those same justifications. It sounds like there are some scientific justifications, but like it also sounds like space perspective doesn't have quite the, I mean, we're not, we're not burning massive amounts of fuel to send up a balloon. So talk to us a little bit about that issue of the environmental cost of space tourism, how you justify it, and then also, you know, what, what space perspective is doing about it. Yeah. So from our point of view, we are very happy that we are able to offer space travel with a spaceship that is zero emissions. So instead of using the sort of the brute force of a rocket and all the energy that it takes to propel something up out of the gravity well, we use the gravity through buoyancy. So we're literally just lifted up to the top of the atmosphere. So it's, it's essentially a zero emissions spaceship. So that's a good thing. And then I want to also talk about sort of your first point of, you know, can, how do you justify space travel? What does it give the world? So here's what I think is really important to understand and what most people don't understand about space travel, and that is the societal effect it will have. So when you talk to an astronaut going to space, as I mentioned earlier, there is a profound change in perspective that happens to an astronaut when they go and they see our planet from that vantage point. And I can speak to it personally because it is exactly what we experienced inside Biosphere 2. It really changed the way I view the planet and my place in it. And it doesn't just change your view, it changes your behavior. When astronauts come back from space travel, there is a statistically significant increase in the amount they get involved in social and environmental causes because it has changed their view of our world so profoundly. So now imagine a society where hundreds of thousands, eventually millions of people have had that change in vantage point, in perspective. It's going to change how people perceive where they are in the world and how they behave. So you say potentially millions of people. It's a, let's talk about that for a second. So, okay, so who are those people that are going up there right now? So, so who, who is kind of your typical passenger now or, or for your 2024 launch? And then how is that going to evolve? Is this something that is going to become more, you know, I, I don't want to say for the masses, but is it, is it something that's not going to be limited to such a, a distinct group of people? So we are working very hard to bring prices down. So when flights went up in the early 2000s, people were paying you know, tens of millions to go to space. We are able to take people to space currently for $125,000 a seat. Still not for everyone, but in the long run, we want to obviously bring that down even further to be able to make it increasingly available to people. So we are also involving a broad spectrum of people. So clearly there's a lot of people who want to go because they want to experience what asked that quintessential astronaut experience of seeing Earth in space. So that's who the lion's share of, of our customers are. And I think as more people go and this is kind of increasingly normalized, it becomes a destination. It becomes a place people want to go it's on their bucket list. It's one of those incredible places that 
people just really have to go visit and experience for themselves. Let me ask you this. <laughs> I want to get back to the like le- the actual experience. We talked about how it's going to what it's like on board, how very pleasant. When you're coming back down, you it is a splash landing. Mm-hmm. First of all, are are we always launching from the same place? Is it is it always in Florida? Are there different locations that you can launch from? And then what is it like when you're <laughs> splashing down? Are there like, you know, I'm envisioning these boats coming out to get you? Like how how does that all work? Yeah. So there are several spaceports in Florida, uh, and we are initiating our operations from Florida. And one of those is Kennedy Space Center. So how amazing will that be for our customers to launch from there? Right. Very cool from the seat of, for those who don't know sort of the history of Kennedy Space Center, right? That, that's the, the seat of human spaceflight history. That's where it's been forged over the decades. So that's incredibly exciting that we can take people from there. And then we will, of course, be expanding our operations around the planet so that we can take people up to see different parts of our planet, not only take our spaceship to where people are, so it's easier for them to go, but also so that they can actually see different things from space. So when you talk to astronauts about what are the coolest things to see from space, you know, they'll all say, oh, everywhere. And then when you start digging into it, you know, it's, Well, you know what's really cool is where you see where the ocean and the land meet because the colors are incredible. Like that whole interface is just so beautiful. And so, you know, where we first launch, we'll be launching over Florida. So people will be seeing over the Bahamas. They'll be seeing down across the Keys, you know, which if you've seen satellite imagery of those, I mean, it's spectacular. Spectacular! The colors are just going to be insane. That's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. Where, like, if I'm taking off from China, I'm going to see completely different things than I'm going to see if I if I take off from from Florida. You're exactly right with that. So, it really, it's the kind of thing you might do more than one. You, as a customer, I might say, hey, "I want to do it from Florida once, and then I'm going to do it from Norway the next time because I'm going to see something completely different." Because you want to see the Northern Lights. You know, one thing we haven't talked about is safety. And I, I guess I kind of, I, you know, I'm thinking balloon. It just sounds, again, very, very pleasant and slow, 12 miles per hour. It's not quite as scary as blasting off in a rocket with flames. But is it, what are the safety issues here? And like, what, what are you guys doing to, to, to make it as safe as it needs to be? We're really focused on making this the safe way to go to space. So to start with that space balloon, has been flown by NASA and others over a thousand times. And so it's really well-tested technology. But of course, we have to have contingency systems. So between the space balloon and the capsule is what we call the reserve descent system, which is a series of parachutes which are pre-deployed. And they're the kind of parachute that have been used to fly payloads and people even from these altitudes and from space, again, over a thousand times, and it's never failed. And the reserve descent system is exactly that. It's reserve. So what is very different about this vehicle and anything else out there that you will see is that the capsule that the people are in is always connected to its primary flight system. So you go up under the balloon and you come back down under the balloon. So there's no separation. There's no transition to any other, other kind of flight system. So it's inherently safe. The entire system is inherently safe. Okay, so if I wanted to sign up 
for a space perspective flight? Like how long would I have to wait? You know, or am I talking 2025, 2026? And, and how does that process work? So you can go straight to our website, spaceperspective.com and buy your ticket to space right from there. And it's a refundable deposit of $1,000 to get your seat and your friends together to go on a flight to space. How long am I looking at it in terms of like when would the first available flight be for a new customer? Yeah, so our first year is completely sold out. Our second year of operations, there is still some availability, but it's going pretty fast. We're actually really excited about how this is really resonating with people. And we've just been selling tickets, I mean, publicly for well under a year. It's getting really good traction. We're really excited. The, the people really, really want this. It's great. When you got into this business, the wild dream was that people would actually do this, right? Now we know they are actually doing this. So what is the wild dream now? So I have several wild dreams. One wild dream is right here on planet Earth because you know that's really the focus of our business. It's called space perspective for a reason. It's because we want to give people that elevated perspective about our planet that you can really only get from space. And so part of the wild dream is that we really create a community of people that have been to space, had this outrageous experience, and work together on something supremely powerful. Or doesn't even have to be together, right? That we've just got this amazing community of people that is a shared view of working towards making our planet a better place, right? So, so that's sort of part one is let's really leverage this experience and help people do something amazing with it, whatever that is. In a part two, sure, I do think going further is incredibly exciting. And when I think about you know, space travel writ large, and I think, you know, we're just at the beginning of this industry. When you think about flight, airplane flight, computers, when they were first invented, first operated, people kind of scratched their heads and said, how are we going to use this? We're in the same state with space travel where we can't really quite imagine yet how this is going to be used and the incredible ripple effect. And I think predominantly positive ripple effect this will have through society and beyond. And so I do look for a day where we have people on the moon looking back at the earth, going there, not just to camp, but to really thrive there and have this incredible planet that we inhabit right in front of them every day and the effect that will have on them. It's amazing to think about. That is amazing to think about. I, I think it's probably my children or my grandchildren that will be actually doing that, but it sounds absolutely incredible. Well, Jane, thank you so much for joining us today. It is so exciting to hear this and, I, and I'm very excited for, for you guys. I mean, what an exciting time for your industry and for you guys who have been working on this for so long. So congratulations, and we will see you in space. And now for the wall and wrap up. One thing I didn't talk to Jane about is the idea of space hotels. Now, that, that concept still sounds a little far-fetched to me. Of course, actually, a lot of this stuff seems pretty far-fetched, but apparently space hotels could become a reality within something like five years. 
there are there are a bunch of different ideas out there floating around for for space hotels, but a few companies actually seem to be like doing something, have concrete plans. One of them, it's called Voyager Station. They've started taking reservations, and I think their plan is to start welcoming guests in 2027. The hotel itself, the Voyager Station Hotel, or at least the the renderings that I've seen of it, it looks like this giant, massive mountain bike wheel with a like a central hub and and spokes that go out to what looks like the the tire part. And that's where the guest rooms are, and and a restaurant, and even private villas are in this in this tire. Now, inside the central hub of the hotel, it will be a like a zero gravity experience. So you'll get the whole floating sensation. But then the hub is constantly rotating around, so the spokes and tires are are constantly moving in orbit. So that in the rooms there will actually be gravity. So supposedly about like one sixth the strength of uh, Earth's gravity, which I don't know what that even looks like. Like it sounds fun to be living at one sixth gravity for, for a few days. Now, of course, the price of those few days is is very steep. The the starting price, I think, for two and a half days or or three and a half days is five million dollars. I've no idea what the cost is to own a villa or why anyone would want to own a villa in space. I don't quite get that. But for more information, there is a great story by a writer named Stephanie Waldeck on Travel Leisure's website. You can find out more about this project and a bunch of other like space hotels and other bits of, of interesting space travel news. So check that out. And of course, be sure to visit spaceperspective.com to learn more about Jane's company and to book your very own balloon flight into space. Finally, one last note about space. Kurt Co. Media, the producers of this show, just came out with an epic science fiction thriller called Solar. It's available on every podcast platform. It's starring Helen Hunt, Alan Cumming. We are very, very excited about this brand new show, so please check it out. I'd like to thank Jane Pointer for joining us today on Travel That Matters. For more information on Space Perspective and the trips they lead to space, please check out our show notes or visit kurtco.com backslash travel that matters. The show is produced for Kurtco Media by AJ Mosley. Assistance by Monica Kelly. Music by Joey Salvia. And hosted by me, Bruce Wallen. And I will see you down the road.